0: setting up systems and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful sustainable and sellable business to sign up just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey see you on the training my name is jenna castro casbon i am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care
1: to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Before we get started, can you tell me your name, your location, and the name of your private practice?
2: Okay, my name is Sarah Lockhart. Uh, My location is Ashland, Oregon, which is a small town um, in the south part of Oregon near the California border. I moved there about four-ish years ago, and the name of my private practice is Sarah Lockhart
1: Speech. I love it. So, Sarah, tell me a little bit about your professional background and when you started thinking about private practice.
2: Professional background okay so I am originally from Portland Oregon and let's see I worked in Portland at the after I graduated I worked for a school district for six years and during that time uh, which was many years ago uh, I started thinking about possibly doing private practice research some things but never started it mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, let's see, I, after about six years in the schools, I transitioned to full-time private practice, which I loved. And then, um, about a year after doing full-time private practice, I'm going to kind of speed up time here so I don't go too long. Um, I started working part-time in telepractice as a contractor and couldn't find full-time work and needed to start something new. So during that time, I moved to the area that I live in now and tried out a few things, but finally sort of came to the realization that if I wanted to keep my part-time contract work, which I did, I would need to create my own job in this area. So at that point, I started a private
1: practice. I love it. So that's something that a lot of people um, ask questions about is how do you possibly start a private practice in a new area? So could you tell everyone a little bit about how you made that work?
2: Yes. How did I make that work? Okay. So um, I had been in the area a few years and I knew some SLPs, but I didn't get a bunch of clients from word of mouth. I got one client from word of mouth and that's in, um, my practice will, by the time this comes out, my practice will have been open for two years Mm -hmm. and I have only gotten one client because I knew someone who knew someone. Mm -hmm. So, um, I definitely had to start from scratch. Well,
1: word of mouth is hard when you don't know that many people in a, in a new area. I
2: I didn't, and I did know some, you know, other SLPs, but that didn't really Mm -hmm. help. So um, at this point, it's, you know, two years in, it's almost all word of mouth, but that's a different kind of word of mouth because it's clients that I have now or have had in the past who are telling other people about me. Um, But as far as how I got the word out, that was a huge challenge. And I would say, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking about starting a private practice in a new town or area, or you just don't know a lot of people, Uh, pace yourself and don't Mm -hmm. expect to be full from day one because I would Mm -hmm. say it took a lot of time and like I tried lots of different things. I mailed out postcards. I made a pretty robust website. Mm -hmm. I spent a ton of time blogging for search engine optimization, SEO, basically I went from being on, if you searched for SLPs in my area, I went from being on the fourth or fifth page, depending on the day, to being one of the top searches. So I put a lot of time and effort into that. And at this point, the clients that come to me are almost all word of mouth. So Mm -hmm. a former client recommended me, or they've seen a Google review. So on Google Maps, you can list Mm -hmm you know, you can list where you are and what you're doing, and then you can ask clients for reviews there, um, or my website. And I do have a couple clients a month that come from doctors that I've made relationships with, um, or that I've connected with, but that's a small percentage of the total.
1: So that's, that's fantastic. So you kind of moved to a new town, you had one person who you got word of mouth from, and then I think that's a really smart thing that people don't think about people when they think about word of mouth tend to think about either other professionals or other uh, more like professional connections and forget to get word of mouth from the clients who know the, the quality of their services, right? The people who you help have firsthand experience with you and really are the best people to speak to your clinical abilities but for some reason, people either forget that or they get nervous about talking to clients about, you know, testimonials or referrals or that kind of thing. Is Was that something that made you nervous or, or not?
2: Um, it did make me nervous when I opened my business because it was a very strategic and purposeful move to ask clients for Google reviews. Mm -hmm. And I do feel kind of bad because I feel like, you know, I'm the practitioner and it's my job to, you know, help them with their needs. So to sort of, twist that to the other side and be like i need your help can you help me it feels vulnerable and like you know is this professional it it mm-hmm. just kind of makes you second guess yourself yeah. so asking for google reviews uh, has always been hard but i do it anyway right mm-hmm. and that's the thing with anything you do in private practice like i've learned so much i've learned how to blog i've learned how to uh, do search engine optimization i've learned how to insurance bill i've learned how to i could just go on and on and on and it's not That you aren't scared to do it or intimidated. You are, but you do it anyway. And as far as, you know, just word of mouth from a client to a potential new client, that's happened on its own. And it's funny because I have some clients who, you know, haven't referred anyone to me that I know of. And then I have some like super referrers who are clients who just are so connected in the community and have sent me like, I have one client that they didn't all become new clients, but sent me four or five. And I have not had this client very long. She's just very connected.
1: Yeah. Well, and you don't know in advance who those people are going to be, right? Mm -hmm. So you treat everyone the same way that you treat them, but there are some people who like that. I tend to be, my personality is I, if I have a good experience um, with someone or something, I like to tell everyone about it. That's just like a personality thing that I have, right? So you're also, sounds like you have at least one of those kind of clients, right? And so how wonderful is that for you that they've had this great experience in a short period of time and are so happy to be telling the world about it and they're happy to help you, right? I think you're right. People feel nervous about asking for that testimonial because it feels like, oh, I don't really know. This is kind of weird that I'm asking them to help me but they're happy to do that because you've helped them and there's a psychological principle of reciprocity where if I help you, you know, you feel this kind of pull to help me and believe me, they want to do that. The clients want to write you a testimonial and they may um, not be able to do it right away. Cause they're in the middle of things, they're busy, whatever, but they're in general, happy to do that for you. Especially if you phrase it as this is going to help me help more people. mm-hmm. Right.
2: And this is going to connect me to, you know, new clients and it's going to help parents like you who are looking for services for their children, find a good match. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that was another question I was going to ask is tell me what kinds of clients you typically treat. Yes. So I run
2: a pediatric private practice. I've had a few adult clients, but it's pretty uncommon. Let's see, I anywhere from age two to age 18, Mm -hmm. and you know, a wide variety of disorders and diagnoses.
1: So, more of a generalist,
2: I would say so. And I think that you know, I was born and raised in a good sized city. If I still lived there, would I have a specialty perhaps? Mm -hmm. But right now, in my area, there are lots and lots of. SLPs in my town that I know of, I'm the only SLP with a brick and mortar practice. So they can drive, you know, 20 minutes or whatever to somebody else, which is fine if they live in town. Um, But if I said, oh, I do swallowing, Mm -hmm. you know, I I might get people who want to drive in from a bigger distance and want that specialist. But right now, my specialty is serving the area in which I live.
1: I think that's fantastic. And you because that's, again, about the flexibility with this, right, is you can either stay that way, and if it's working, you're getting enough referrals, you're, getting, you're seeing the right kinds of clients, you know, whoever those are for you, then that's fantastic, right? You don't, you don't have to have a specialty. No one has to have a specialty unless they want to do that. And a lot of people get into private practice because they want to specialize or they want to narrow anyway. Um, but the thing about private practice is that it's your private practice and you can do with it what you want. So in that vein, how do you feel like your private practice might be different from other private practices?
2: Okay, Um, yeah, I've been listening to the podcast and enjoying it, but I think a lot, you know, what I've heard so far is like people who are doing other work full time, and this is on the side. So Mm -hmm. where I found myself is the contract company that I worked for, full-time could only find me a part-time position Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with that part-time position. So where I thought, okay, I'll just stay here a year, you know, each contract is a year long. Um, I fell in love with that school and that community. I wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in a position where I needed part-time work, but when I say part-time, I don't mean like a few hours here and there. I needed to fill full days and I needed money coming in right away. And I am the breadwinner for my family. I do make a large majority of the income. And so that was a non-negotiable. So for me, it wasn't something I was doing on the side. It wasn't something I was doing as a hobby. Um, I, from about six months before I opened, I started laying the groundwork and doing things like creating a website. Blogging, getting on insurance panels, because I knew that I was about to be in a position where I needed to spend a lot of money to open, you know, I have a physical location to open the practice, but also I needed to have clients and money coming in so that I could pay my mortgage and my bills.
1: Yeah. So you said something that I think is really important is that in laying the groundwork, you started your website. You started blogging and you started being credentialed for insurance panels. So how did doing those things help you, do you think?
2: Oh my goodness, so much. So um, being an in-network provider for insurances can take, you know, it's it's a range of time. For me, the average was about three months. Mm -hmm. So if I decided, you know, today like, oh, I want to start a private practice. Um, here's the thing. People don't want to pay for an out of network provider. Mm -hmm. Um, right now, if I'm in network for the major insurance companies in my area, you know, people are paying their deductible, which is maybe a thousand or 2000. And then they're paying like 20 bucks, you know, between 15 and 20 bucks per appointment. If I was an out of network provider, insurance would be paying a teeny tiny percentage and they would be paying like 50 bucks or, you know, per appointment. So it's, it wasn't realistic for me to say, okay, I'm going to open a cash based practice or, oh, I'm not going to be in network for insurances. And I think okay. when you start to research, there's a lot online that sit, you know, that say things like, oh, you can do a cash based practice or don't worry about those insurance companies. Um, you can bill out of network. Well, in, in my area, people would not have come to me if I only billed out of network. So by getting on the insurance panels, um, And being an in-network provider, first of all, people could find me on their insurance website. Mm -hmm. So when they were looking for a provider, they wanna pay the $15 or the $20 and not the $50, Mm -hmm. right? So they want someone who's Mm in-network. And that is some of my first clients like um, that I saw found me that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how that helped. And then as far as starting the website and blogging and doing things like that early. Uh, I was, when I created my website on the fourth or fifth page of Google, and so I was almost impossible to find. So I did a lot, um, of things to increase my ranking because I wanted to be on that first page Mm -hmm. because I knew that people were going to Google, you know, my area and speech therapist or speech language pathologist. So I laid the groundwork so that I was findable.
1: So you used such an important word there, which is findable, right? Because there are different levels uh, to think about when it comes to finding clients, right? So I always say that the easiest, lowest hanging fruit are people who are actively searching for services. So you have got to be there when someone looks for services, because if you're not, someone else will be right? So a lot of people, you're absolutely right, are going to their insurance company website, searching for speech, and then boom, you're on the list, or they search by zip code, or whatever, they find you, they make an appointment, that's great. Um, if they're not searching on their insurance website, they may, or, you know, through the insurance search engine, they may be looking at Google, and the same thing. It, being, you're, you're right, being on page four or five is not really good enough. You have to be closer to the top. And so by using things like blogging to help increase your overall search engine, engine optimization, and then also you mentioned Google reviews earlier, you have to play Google's game because they're the master at all this. So anything you can do within the Google platform is going to send much more link juice to your website, and then you're going to move up in search engine ranking. So all of that groundwork that you laid was really, really important and will will Continue to be important for a long time, but you were smart to put in the work early so that you can now reap the benefits of that. Now,
2: yeah. Two things. One is, can we start a rock band and call it Link
1: Juice? <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally. I, <laughs> I, 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 really I
1: like. I could tell that you liked that I used the term. <laughs> I heard that. <death. laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. And the other thing. Let's see. What were we just talking about? seo
1: no google
2: login seo
1: websites um, google being findable oh you said
2: something so good okay
1: insurance websites being findable low-hanging fruit link juice
2: <laughs> link juice just like pushed me over the edge i'm just like link juice. um so am i findable oh i did want to add one thing about my website which is um I know that a lot of people use like Wix or Weebly. Mm -hmm. I spent good money having mine professionally designed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I needed to hit the ground running and I knew it. I knew this is when this other contract ends and I need to have clients already lined up because I need income. I need to pay my mortgage. I need to provide for my family. So again, this wasn't something I was doing on the side. It's something I had to be super duper serious about. And that's why um, for me, getting a website that was branded and that was very me and that was very intentional was worth putting money into. The first client that I found that um, was through, um, okay, so the first client I got was someone I knew who knew someone mm-hmm. and then that didn't happen again because I don't know if there are many people in this area, right? Because <laughs> um, I've moved here, I had moved here quite recently. Um, the second one, she saw my website. She found me by looking on her insurance website Mm -hmm. and then she looked at my website and she told me later, she said, Sarah, I didn't look at anyone else's website because I could just like feel what, Mm -hmm. what the feeling would be to have service with you. And she didn't use the word like vibe, but that's all I can think of. She kind of got my vibe, like what it would be like. I'm not a cutesy person, but I try to, you know, have like a very chill and pleasant space. And she just said that by looking at the website, she knew that I was the right uh, clinician for her and I still have that client and she's incredible. So everyone is different and the things that, you know, anytime you give advice, the things you say are you know kind of true and not true depending on the person right so Mm -hmm. if maybe you want to do something on the side and make a small amount of money don't feel like you have to blog for six months before you see your first client it's a lot of work Um, and don't feel like you have to spend money on your website but if you're in a situation um, like me, where you know you want that link juice, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that term now, I'm so stuck on it. Um, and you need to be making income from day yeah. one, uh, you know, spend money on what you need to spend money on,
1: yeah. And it's all tax deductible, ink, right? I mean, th- those kind of things are tax deductible expenses. I think sometimes people get really worried about spending money. Before they see money, or before you know, before the income is really coming in, and I, I, I get that, right? That's important, but that's not the way to think of things as a business owner, right? That's the way to think of things as a consumer, right? Consumers immediately exchange money for services or money for goods, but as a business owner, and that that's something that none of us, or not a lot of us anyway, have any experience with that, so it feels foreign and it feels weird, and like you're not really quite sure about it. Um, but with practice and exposure and thinking about things differently, reading, you know, business books and listening to business podcasts, you know, anything like that, going to, you know, workshops and whatnot is a really good way to open your mind up to thinking like a different kind of person and starting to see this through a different lens. Because at your heart, you're still a clinician and probably that's still like your favorite thing to do is to be a clinician. Um, But when you have to think like a business owner and the way you had to do it was relatively quickly. And with a lot of, I don't know, gusto or something, Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. you had to do it Mm -hmm. and you did.
2: Yeah. And the money piece is, um, you know, I would say I did get a business credit card and I sent it, I mean, because here I needed multiple tests. Um, some of them were like seven or eight hundred dollars each for different pages. I needed some articulation, some language. I needed to put a deposit on a space because I um, That's one thing I wanted to say is if you're thinking about, you know, driving to see clients, you have to also subtract the amount of time you're driving. And for me, uh, financially, it made more sense to pay rent in a space Mm -hmm. and have clients come to me. So it completely depends on where you live. I live in a small town and then there's lots of people who live in the area, but maybe not in my town. Mm -hmm. So, um, that would have been a lot of driving. So, Think about that when you're getting a space and as far as the amount of money you borrow to say, okay, well, I'm definitely going to do this for the next two years at least. Mm -hmm. How much would I have to save each month to pay this off in my first two years? And how much money am I making hourly? And I think then it becomes a lot less scary. And then part of it too is just like you were saying, surround yourself with people who are business owners, Like, I started listening to a lot of podcasts, watching a lot of YouTube videos, listening to this podcast is a great example. Because if you don't know anyone, like, I didn't know very many people who would started a business, it's really terrifying. So try to, even if you don't personally know people who own businesses, try to surround yourself with that kind of thinking, because it makes Mm -hmm. it feel like it's much more possible.
1: Yeah, and I think that there are some businesses that we have not a lot in common with. But there's other businesses that we have a lot of common, even if it doesn't look that way on the surface, right? So some people also, I don't know if you've done like any business networking kinds of things. Some people really like to do that. Um, Other people do, you know, more like online groups and kind of meet people that way. I don't think it matters. And I think it has to do with like your personality and your time and whatnot. But soaking up information from other people who are doing it um is invaluable because it also helps you gain you know knowledge about some confidence and you can look at someone else and say well you know what they tried it maybe I should try it too mm-hmm.
2: and they did it and maybe it's possible maybe you know yeah. they they were able to actually find a client because i remember when i was just getting started i was like how in the world do you find a client like how does that even work like it kind of like bent my brain in different ways to just be like how am i going to find someone and I kind of knew the idea behind it like um, you know talk to some pediatricians and let Mm -hmm. other people know but you never know like how long will it take and that is one other thing is it took probably a year until I was completely full Mm -hmm. and the the clinicians I know in the area, it was similar. So again, if you're trying to not do something that's just a few clients on the side, but like fill days with mm-hmm. clients, it takes time because people want to trust you. So they want to hear from a couple of people that, you know, you're good and that you, have mm-hmm. and the other thing is, you know, when you first open people won't really know what to expect. From you, mm-hmm. So you may even get clients that aren't a good fit. And I'm not talking about disorder necessarily, but just mm-hmm. people that are hard to communicate with that are really draining. And those people are going to want to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So um, there's some turnover in that first year as you're figuring out who your people are.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and the whole reason to get into this is to have control over your your situation, right? So if there are things that you're doing and you realize, okay, maybe this, maybe this isn't quite the way I want to do it, then then shift gears because you're the boss, right? So you can try something and see if you like it and see if it's working. And if it's not, you scrap it. Mm-hmm. And in
2: my first six months, I didn't really feel like I was the boss and I felt kind of like pushed around because I was still in that like employee mentality, right? So I actually have a sign that is in my home office. I'm not brave enough to put it in my clinic, but it says, I'm the boss. It just says, I'm the boss. And I leave it on my desk at home because it's like, you know what? I am the boss. So I can say, all right, the buck stops here. We can't do that. Um, But you can feel free to find someone else who can. Um, So yeah, you are the boss and it's a different. Mentality. And then the other thing I wanted to mention that's a completely different mentality from being an employee is the money piece. Mm -hmm. It comes and goes, right? Mm -hmm. You may see a ton of clients one month and make hardly any money. And then, like, let's say half your clients graduate and you're getting insurance checks from the month before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think when you're an employee, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to make every month. This is going to be the same. And as a business owner, You kind of have to detach the amount of money you make in a week or a month or two months or whatever it is from, I don't know, your self-esteem, your self-worth, your sense of success, because it really is up and down and you have to think about it more in like a yearly figure Mm -hmm. or something else I've done is like a number of clients, you know, like as long as I have this number, I'm fine. I'm not going to worry about it going up and down but it really 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 does. And I've had good luck I'm typically paid within 3 months. But again, the money I'm making is not from this month. Right. So that's something to think about as well, like can you handle those ebbs and flows and ups and downs financially yeah. and move
1: forward. Right, and then can you plan for that in advance and make sure that you're, you know, you know saving and then, you know, thrown in the mix are things like estimated taxes and all that kind of thing that you also have to be mindful of when it comes to figuring out finances.
2: Yeah. And in the first year, like it's hard to save anything. I mean, you're just trying to pay yourself. Mm -hmm. So it, it is hard to go with that heads Mm -hmm. and flows, but it gets better.
1: Yeah. What have you found, if anything, to kind of, what what do you do um, to try to help yourself? It, um, get like a new, new streams of clients or whatever during the downtime or how, let me rephrase that when you're in kind of a a more down period, um, how do you react to that? And what do you do to move past it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's very natural to have ups and down times, right? Mm-hmm. Like some months I'll have a large number of clients calling and asking about services. And sometimes it'll even be within like a period of days in one month yeah. where I get so many calls and I'm just like, Oh, I don't know how to get back to all these calls. Right. Like how many, right. It's raining people. Yeah. And um, so, and then sometimes I can go a couple and again, I'm a small practice. It's, this is part-time, but again, I'm working full days and then I'm supplementing with a contract job. Um, I can go, I don't think I go months, but I've had periods where in my first year where I'd go a couple months Mm -hmm. without hearing anything or the phone ring. And then, you know, I'd get several new clients in one month, especially when I was starting up. So, um, Keeping your perspective and anything that you're going to do marketing-wise, it usually took me a few months to see any results from that. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't freak out during a dry time, but also don't feel like you can just like do something with the snap of your fingers and yeah. get new clients. Um, one example is in pediatrician's office. There's usually like a referral coordinator, and that person mm-hmm. is the person who says, "Oh, this person needs OT or PT, yeah. so I'm going to send them here." So I made you know, a few good connections with some of those in the Mm -hmm. area. And I thought, you know, those phone calls, I really thought we connected and they, you know, they know I'm a small practice and I'm in it for the clients. Um, and I shared my Google reviews page with them. Um, so they know that, you know, I have some good reviews and, um, I wouldn't get any referrals and I was like, what happened? (laughs) And the thing is, you know, they were waiting for a client, you know, who was in network for the insurances I provided that lived near me, um, in order to refer. So I absolutely got referrals from them, but it was months later, not right away.
1: Yeah. But once you get those and you kind of become top on of mind and top of their, well, top of their radar, you need to also then stay top of mind with them. Right. So that they'll also continuing to continue to send you people, But once a practice discovers you and discovers that you do good work because they've heard about that from their clients, they will be so happy to send people to you, right? Because Mm -hmm. you've, they've had a good experience with you. And especially if you're in network with the same insurance company that the, that the kid uses and that they use as a practice um, and whatnot, there's magic can happen for private practices when a clinic when they become the go-to person that that clinic sends people to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've told the story a bunch of times, but when I was pregnant, I had some lower back pain. And although my wife's a PT, I didn't really think about going to PT. I don't know why, but I didn't. And after a while she's like, why don't you ask your doctor for a PT referral? So I did. And so they said, well, I'm going to send you um, to Tracy. Um, we send all of our patients to Tracy. Okay. So then I go to Tracy. She was a miracle worker. She totally fixed me in like two or three sessions. And I was so happy that I told lots of people about Tracy, right? So Tracy got some word of mouth from me, but I kept playing back this thing in my head. We send all of our patients to Tracy. And then I was like, wait a minute, they have 10 OBGYNs there. If that practice with t- and they're slammed all the time, if, if that referral coordinator sends all of their people with pain to Tracy, Tracy is making bank yeah. <laughs> from this one practice alone, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really behooves people to, to make those relationships and those networking connections with offices or with certain professionals that have the capacity to send them, you know, clients. So now you wanna be realistic with them and say, well, you can't, I can't handle, you know, Tracy, could handle it, I guess. But anyway, whatever. That's beside the point.
2: Tracy can handle anything.
1: Tracy was amazing. Tracy's
2: a miracle worker. <laughs> she totally
1: is. But it, that that probably changed Tracy's practice and the success of her practice is to have wow. those kind of referrals coming from just that one source. So I really encourage people to be like Tracy and figure out, how they can make those same kind of connections because it can lead to amazing things for the long haul.
2: Right. And how do you do that? And that was one of my questions when I'm starting out, like, how do I make connections with these practices? And, you know, to something to note is that's not where I get a majority of my clients. Mm -hmm. I get a majority of my clients through word of mouth and my website. So, um, but I do have a couple practices that do refer to me. And so for me, I would find out who the referral coordinator was and kind of talk to them on the phone. And then that was it because you know what? They're like super busy. So I don't want to bug them. I want to make their life easier. So after that, When they refer to you, you know, if and when they refer to you, the way that you quote unquote advertise your practice is you stay in awesome communication with them. Mm -hmm. So when I get a referral, I'll make a little chart that's like I attempted to call the parent on this day and then on this day and then they refuse service or wanted a service and they have an evaluation this day and I'll fax it along um, so that just at a glance that person can see that I've followed up and that I've followed up quickly. Um, And then I send, you know, my reports, my evaluation reports to them. And so, again, it's that stepping probably out of your comfort zone to call or, you know, email or however you want to contact them and know that they're busy, right? They don't necessarily want to meet with you. I mean, maybe in some practices they do, but, you know, they're busy. They just want a good referral source um, and they want to know what insurances you accept. So um, starting there and then your quote unquote advertising is to just stay in good communication with them and provide good service, which is a lot more within the comfort zone of most of us as SLPs and clinicians.
1: Definitely. You also said something earlier, which made me think about the idea of word of mouth and a lot of people, um, that's what they want, right? I want, I want good word of mouth. I want people talking about me. I want good word of mouth. And yes, you do want that. But keep in mind that once people have heard about you, they're going to Google you, right? So it's like they hear about you first and then they want to check you out and make sure that you're legit. They want to look at your pictures, make sure you look like a nice, friendly, normal person and all that kind of stuff. So yes, you do want word of mouth, but the second step almost 100% of the time is that they're going to Google you. So you have to have that website as a backup um as a primary source for the people who are you know looking for services via google or you know bing whatever but you also have to have it as a backup for word of mouth because they will look you up there and that's where they're going to get your phone number right you hear about this fantastic person sarah lockhart oh sarah lockhart cool i'll remember her name but then they're not gonna just they don't know your phone number they're gonna google that right Mm -hmm. so that's another thing to make sure that you have it down. And that's, you know, you've already told us all about how you've got that set up from the beginning. So kudos to you for doing that too. So, yeah. yeah. So, where do you see yourself going in the next like six to 12 months?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that's fair. So, um, yeah. So, to, you know, hitting the rewind button. You know, I have this part-time contract job. I love it. I could give it up and see if the company could find me a Mm -hmm. full-time job, but I'm happy there. So I start a private practice. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes what happens if the contract job falls through, right? Mm -hmm. I'm on a yearly contract. So if that happens, I will course correct and adjust. And I'm not sure what that adjustment would be Mm -hmm. um, because right now I have income coming in from my own clinic and then from this contract work that I'm doing. And I find them very complimentary. Mm -hmm. I like doing two things. And so I'm, I feel I'm where I need to be right now. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had a major life change, would I switch up what I did? sure if Mm -hmm. I you know some of my work fell through or I stopped getting as many referrals as I'm getting would I course correct yes Mm -hmm. um so I I really truly don't know because I've you know I worked for years to I mean in the back of my mind to get this practice started um and then to figure out what kind of contract work I wanted to do so you know for the moment I'm where I want to be, I cannot believe I haven't talked about my podcast yet. Yes, but, um, people that's about a big your part podcast. of my life. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my podcast is called SLP Happy Hour, and it's with me and a friend of mine, Sari, who's a clinical fellow. We talk work, wellness, self care, tips for work, what it's really like to be an SLP, and we try to be as vulnerable and honest, but also as helpful and positive as mm-hmm. possible. So right now, SLP Happy Hour is uh, a side hustle in a way and a passion project, but um, for me, one of the things I say is SLP Happy Hour is a tree and the podcast is a branch. So Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that what SLP Happy Hour has to offer is bigger than just a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm for now doing the, you know, podcast and no plans to quit it. But um, I think that there's more there and I'm not sure what it is yet um, because I'm still building an audience. It's been out for about three months. So we're pretty new. So just kind of figuring out like, who are my people and what do they want or need and how can I be of service to them? And so that's a huge, I mean, between having several jobs and owning a clinic and running a podcast, I don't really have a lot of, you know, extra time or energy. Uh, So that's what's keeping me busy now. So I'm I'm sort of juggling these elements. There's a contract job, there's a private practice, there's a podcast, and kind of seeing, you know, seeing what happens and being curious about it for now.
1: I think that's so healthy, right? It's to just be curious. I love that word curious. I, I love being curious. I love when other people are pursuing different things that are making them happy. And I love also that you use the word course correct because you can absolutely be going down one thing or think that one thing is the right path for you. And then something changes either in your control or out of your control or whatever. And, you know, course correcting is such it, 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 you then own the situation versus that something was thrust upon me. (laughs) right? In like a negative, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that that's really healthy to think that to have that perspective that, and you've shown this, this whole time we've been talking is I'm in charge. I'm in control of this. And if I'm the boss, right? That's what the sign says. (laughs) I'm the boss. I love that because it's true. And you're, but you're owning that, right? You, you have looked fear in the eye multiple times and you're like, I got this. I'm the boss and I'm going to figure it out. If something doesn't quite work according to how I thought I'm going to course correct, but there's no choice, but to keep going forward.
2: Yeah. And I wasn't always that way. And, you know, I have freakouts all the time, just like anyone else. And if we're talking about fear and work and, you know, like this is a conversation about things that are going well, right. There are clients who don't like me, there are clients who don't think I'm awesome. And, you know, that's a part of being in private practice is you have people that will quit. You have people that won't like you, you'll have turnover, You'll have people who love you when you're like, I'm not even, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure your kid out. You know, like you can't control any of that. So, you know, I don't know. In all of us as SLPs, there's this perfectionist planner. So I have that too. So I'm just trying to figure it out. And if we're talking about work and fear, I have to mention uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book called Big Magic, which I recommend to everyone. Have you read it? I have not read it. Okay. And you know, if people don't want to... Right, add a tier, put it on the top of the list if you can. But okay. you know, she also has a TED talk, which is amazing. So it's all about creativity and work. Mm-hmm. So um, she says, you know, fear does not get to be in the passenger seat. Fear does not get to be in the driver's seat. Fear does not get to touch the radio. Fear is in the back seat. Fear can chatter, chatter, chatter on, but you are driving the car, you're choosing the radio station, and you are driving to where you're going to go. So there's this idea that people who, you know, I had this idea, people who open private practices are just like more confident or self assured than I am. Um, and you know what? You're just as afraid that you do it anyway.
1: Yeah. I think that is just excellent words of wisdom spoken by someone who has lived that. So, um, Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanna share that we haven't touched upon? Lots of good advice. I mean, Sarah, this has been a really um, candid and helpful interview um, that I really appreciate all of this information and I'm sure the listeners do too.
2: Yeah, I hope it's helpful. I would say, let's see who should, I would answer this question. Who should go in?
1: Oh wait, hold on. I think it got, um, I can't hear you. Better? Beautiful. Okay.
2: Okay. So like my, my question I always wanted answered is like, who should go into private practice? And I would say not someone who needs hand holding, because there's so much things you have to figure out. Like, I need an MPI number. Like, what is that? Where do you find that? I LLC or uh, S Corp. Like, what do I do? How do I find that? Like, there are like a hundred things I want that you have to do and that you're going to do poorly. Right. When I started blogging, I blogged consistently and poorly, but I did my best, you know, when I started insurance billing, I was insurance billing consistently, but poorly. So, um, you have to be willing to try new things. You have to be willing to be wrong. You have to be willing to do it not well and just keep Mm -hmm. going and try your best. So the other thing is, um, to know how much money you should save up. If you're counting on that income, ASHA usually recommends saving up, um, what you make in one quarter of work. So not a quarter of your monthly income, but like, what do you make in like three or four months or whatever? Um, and to save that up first. And then I would say also know you'll have some business expenses to get Mm -hmm. started and definitely don't do it because you think it'll be easier because I work just as many hours and probably a little more doing private practice, like things Mm -hmm. on the side. Um, and then don't think you'll make, A million dollars because I do make more on my private practice days than my contract days, but it's a slight number. It is not a big number, so don't do it for the money. Don't do it because you think it'll be easy, Um, and make sure that you're willing to be independent and try and fail it a bunch of things because you know starting a business is just a bunch of things get thrown at you and you do your best. And let's see. And if you liked this conversation, please listen to my podcast because. If if you listen okay, if you listen to the end of this interview, you'll like my podcast. If you've already tuned out and like, oh, this Sarah girl is just ugh, uh, don't listen because you won't like it.
1: Yeah, so that's SLP Happy Hour. So listen thank to you. Sarah's podcast. Um, so again, thank you so much for for coming tonight and for sharing all this information. And um, please be in touch as you know time goes on, and and let us all know what you're up to, whether, you know, you stick with the contract job or do something new with the private practice or any other things that come up, because I think that um, it's really helpful to have people share the level and depth of information that you shared tonight. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of private practice success stories. I hope that you were impressed, inspired, and are ready to take action. Speaking of which, do you need help starting your private practice or taking it to the next level? Then join the Private Practice Solution. Inside of our exclusive members area, you'll discover fabulous time-saving resources that will help you be the successful private practitioner you've always wanted to be. There's also a vibrant community of smart clinicians working together to help more people while making more money if you're looking for step-by-step resources member discounts and a supportive community of like-minded people consider this your invitation to join us so go ahead and sign up now at www.theprivatepracticesolution.com see you in the members area